premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey there, folks. This is Joe Ruciello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God, your King James Bible. And you know, folks, as always, wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform it is you find yourself listening to us on, it's always my prayer that you also find yourself in the grace and in the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast and our Thursday night Bible study. Well, folks, I don't know if you can believe it, but another week has gone by. And I really do hope that you guys had a great week, and I hope that, uh, that it was a real blessing for you. And I hope, I hope that you made it to church on Wednesday night, and I hope that when you left church, you were on fire for the Lord. Now, tonight, we actually almost didn't have a show tonight, because uh, just as I was leaving work to head on over to the studio here, uh, this uh, major windstorm came blowing through town, and uh, when I got here, uh, I had some damage to the roof that I had to take care of right away. The internet went down, then I lost power, and, uh, and then when I opened up my document with all of my notes for, uh, for the show tonight, oh, I want to say probably the last third of the notes weren't on the document that I had saved. So I had to uh, scramble really quickly to find them and to put it all back together again. But praise the Lord, we're here, and uh, we're only a half an hour late. So that's not too bad, all things considered. Now, folks, last Thursday, we stepped into the book of Revelation, and we looked at chapter number one, and we truly did learn some amazing things from the Word of God. Now, tonight, we're going to... uh, try to somehow get chapters two and three in tonight. I think we'll be able to do it. I think we will. And we might just come under the two-hour mark. We'll see. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Because I'm sure you're pretty weary of two-hour shows just as much as I am. But uh, we're going to get into chapters two and three of the book of Revelation tonight, and we're going to learn some things about God's letter to the seven churches. We're going to learn some things about the seven churches themselves. We're going to learn some things about uh, the doctrine of Jezebel, which is going to be very interesting. And, I, and I'm pretty sure if, you're, if you go to a mainstream church, you've probably never heard of the doctrine of Jezebel. And we're going to get into that tonight as well. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to head over to our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And when you get over there, just head over to our contact section, open up that little web form, and why don't you send us over a message. Let us know whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, any questions, comments, cares, or concerns that you might have. And also, don't forget, send over those prayer requests. I really do look forward to getting those prayer requests, folks. I look forward to spending my 
personal quiet time with the Lord and praying over the things that you send me. So uh, please, folks, uh, keep them coming. I, we really do love to get them, and it's a privilege for us to pray over them with you and for you. Now, folks, also, while you're on the website, would you please look for that Support This Podcast button? And when you find that, would you consider supporting us with a small monthly contribution? You can set that up for $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Uh, if you can't do a monthly recurring contribution, because you know, the economy's tight, things are expensive for everybody, we understand that, we get it. Uh, you could also make a one-time contribution by clicking on the Waygiver button, which is also on our website, or you can now use the uh, Cash App QR code, which is on the website as well. So however you go about it, folks, I want you to pray about it first, and if the Lord leads you to do it, you know, if these podcasts and these live shows have been a blessing to you in any way, if you'd like to become an active part of this ministry, your contribution will go a very long way, and I would be extremely thankful for it. Now, folks, first and foremost, before we do anything else with the show, you know, I always want to give thanks to the Lord, uh, first of all, for saving me, for uh, uh, rescuing me from an eternity in a burning hot worst place you can possibly imagine hell and i am so thankful to the lord jesus christ that he directed people across my, across my path that uh that presented the truth of the gospel to me and uh that 23 years ago on that pier in uh, lower manhattan i got on my hands and knees and i asked the lord jesus christ to save me and folks it's been a blessing in my life ever since, is a decision that I would never, ever, ever even think of going back on. Yeah, I've had my ups and downs. I've had my trials. I've had my tests, my tribulations. I've had plenty, plenty of failures. But if there's one thing that I've learned over the 23 years that I've been saved is that as many times as you fall down, the Lord will lift you right back up. So folks, if you haven't been saved... Now is the time to do it, especially today, especially now. When you look at what's going on in the world around us today, you look at the political scene, you look at the things that are developing, you know, the one world government, it's on its way. The one world currency, it's on its way. The one world religion, it's on its way. And when all of those things come together, they're going to find a leader for it, and that'll be the Antichrist. Now, folks, if you're saved, you won't be here for that part because you're going to get raptured out. And that's something we're going to talk about as we get into the study tonight. So let me not get too far into it. But, but folks, now is the time to get saved. Do it now while it's free, while it's the age of grace. Because once the age of grace closes with the rapture of the church, it goes into a whole nother dispensation and a completely different way to come to the Lord. And we're going to touch on that as we get into our study. I also want to thank the Lord for allowing me this opportunity to be here with you on a weekly basis, a bi-weekly basis, actually. Twice a week we get together, Sunday, night, Sunday afternoon at 3 and Thursday night at 7. So it's a real blessing for me to be able to do this and to, uh, and to study and to, uh, to present the information that the Lord has blessed me with, and hopefully it's a blessing to you. So I want to thank the Lord for that opportunity as well. It's a great privilege, and it's not one that I take lightly. I also want to say thank you to all of you who uh, support us prayerfully. Thank you for your prayers. I really do appreciate them. Uh, and I know you're praying. I know you're praying because we are under constant attack spiritually, constantly. Anytime you step out in service to the Lord, you can guarantee 
you're going to be the target of something. And I want to say thank you to all of you who pray for me, pray for the show, pray for the family, pray for everything that we do. God bless you for it. Please, please continue to do that. Uh, We do need your prayers. I also want to say thank you to all of you who already support us financially. God bless you for that. Uh, As I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, your financial contributions go a very long way for us. Uh, Your contributions help pay the uh, platform fees that we have. Your your contributions help pay for um, the the materials that we get. Uh, We are going to be purchasing a case of Bibles very shortly, and we'll be able to send those out to anybody who asks for one. And these are really nice Bibles, too. These are uh, Ruckman reference Bibles. These are fantastic study materials, fantastic resource. And I am so looking forward to getting those and be able to ha- being able to send them out. So, uh, so if you were still sitting on the fence with your financial support, you haven't decided if you want or can support us, please take a moment and pray about it and consider it and be a part of what we are trying to do here for the Lord. Now, folks, I also want to say thank you to every single one of you who listen to us faithfully and everything that we put out. God bless you for that. Uh, as you know, uh, my favorite podcasting platform is um, Good Pods. And on Good Pods, our little show here is number one on four charts. Four charts. And we couldn't do that, first of all, without the grace of the Lord. And for you guys, for your downloads, your plays, and your shares. So thank you so very much for keeping us on top of those charts and uh, exposing uh, our show to all of those interested in hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, if you are in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-preaching and teaching church, why don't you pay us a visit over at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? We meet at 664 North Monroe. Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. And our Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. For more information, you can always visit the church's Facebook page. Just log into Facebook, search for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. And once you're there, you're going to find a lot of really, really helpful information. And you'll also find episodes of this podcast as well. Uh, and again, we want to say thank you to, uh, first of all, to my pastor and my friend, John Monk, for allowing us the opportunity to post the shows on the church's Facebook page. And for the folks that do maintain the page, thank you so much for doing so. You're a tremendous blessing. Now, folks, uh, wherever it is that you find yourself listening, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share it with your friends, your family, and your followers. That way you'll help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That never gets old. All right, folks, it's time for some announcements. Uh, I just want to remind you about our Sermon Sunday broadcast every Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, This coming Sunday, we're going to have a a really good message on Christ, our testator. And, uh, well, Lord willing, I have actually three sermons in mind for for our Sermon Sunday. So I'm leaning toward Christ, our testator, but I'm not fully settled on it yet. So it might be that. It might be one of the other ones. I'm not 100% sure. 
But if you really want to know what it's going to be, you're going to have to tune in. Sunday, 3 p.m., live, right here on Spreaker. Podcast version will go out probably about an hour or so after the live show, much like this one. All right. And oh, speaking of, uh, of uh, Spreaker, if you have a Spreaker account and you are currently logged into Spreaker, uh, head on over to our chat room. It is open and ready to receive you. So come on over, say hello, let us know you're there. Uh, you can post any comments or questions that you might have. Also, if you have any prayer requests, you can put them there in the chat room as well, and we'll add them onto our list for today. All right. Folks, if you are interested in prepping, I'd like to introduce you to the Contra Radio Network. The Contra Radio Network is a single podcast housing nearly a dozen talented podcasts and vidcast hosts and artists from around the country who release content daily. The Contra Radio Network podcasts uh, releases 15 to 20 shows a week, depending on current events, and has several thousands of download hours uh, for a month and uh, hundreds of thousands of downloads since coming on the air in 2014. No issues are off limits to any of these patriots. You want to break down a current events? Got it. You want to know more about preparedness and self-sufficiency? Got it. Want a guy driving around ranting like a lunatic? Well, we got that too. You want to hear about politics, sports, Bible studies, camping, firearms, and more? The Contra Radio Network has it all, and it's all covered in spades. How do you find them? You can head on over to www.crn.best. That's www.crn.best. They're also uh, able to be found on all of your major podcasting platforms. And we are very thankful and uh, we really appreciate all of the all the comments and the downloads we've been receiving since we became a part of the Contra Radio Network family. Thank you so very much for that. Please keep it up and keep praying for us as well. All right, uh, folks, don't forget to sign up for the programming announcements email subscription. You can find that subscription box on our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And um, once you're over there, just fill out that little form and get yourself on the mailing list. Uh, if in the event there's no show or a cancel a, uh, a guest or if uh, we're running behind like we were tonight, we'll be sending out emails through that mailing list, and that'll be the best way to reach out to you guys. Now, we don't sell your information. We keep it all here with us, uh, and uh, it's free, and uh, we're not going to spam you with a bunch of stuff that you don't really want or need. So... Uh, head over to SortOfTheSpiritPodcast.com, look for the programming announcement subscription box on the bottom of the website, and fill it out, get on the list, and stay in the know. Also, while you're on our website, don't forget to head over to our little shop there, the Sword Swag section. And uh, over there, we have our beautiful Sword of the Spirit Podcast coffee mugs, which I am holding right here, right now. And as tradition states, I have to slurp. Mm. Uh, tonight is um, McDonald's coffee with a little um, lactose-free milk, no sugar. I'm sweet enough as it is, as they say. And um, wow, that's good. So if you want the Sword of the Spirit podcast coffee mug, that's going to set you back for a $25 contribution. And we also have these really nice Sword of the Spirit podcast T-shirts uh, in men's and women's cuts, and that will be a $35 contribution. You can make your contributions on our website 
there's a there's an info button on the Sword Swag page. You click that. You send me your contact information. I'll send you the link where you can make your contribution, and we will get that out to you as quickly as we possibly can. All right, folks. Also, last announcement before we head out to our first break. Uh, March 4th. Mark it on your calendars. March 4th. We are having a yard sale at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. Now, if you like to go to yard sales, that's great. Come on out. You never know what you're going to find at a yard sale. You know, I do watch those shows from time to time. You see a lot of little nice little treasures people find that appraise at a lot more value than what they might think, all from yard sales. So if you're interested in something like that, why don't you come on out to First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass, 664 North Monroe, on uh, March the 4th. All right, folks. Well, that's about the time we're going to take our first break. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers. And we'll be back right after this. Don't you go away. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening.
Amen, amen, and amen. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Uh, this is Joe Ruscello. almost forgot my name for a second. And uh, we will be getting into our prayer requests here momentarily. I uh, just want to remind you that our chat room is open on, on Spreaker. You do need to have a Spreaker account in order to do that. It doesn't take long. Just set it up. It takes you two minutes, and uh, it's free. So, uh, you can, so you can jump on into the chat group. All right, folks, uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to go down our prayer list. Now it's Thursday. We don't go through the entire extensive prayer list, but we are, as always, going to pray for the folks that are in need of salvation, and uh, that we kind of do individually because that's extremely important. Well, all prayers are important, really, but uh, the need of salvation is the most important because it is the single most important decision you are ever going to make in your entire life. And I don't say that flippantly, and I don't say that uh, just to hear myself say it. I'm telling you because it has eternal consequences. If you die without the Lord Jesus Christ, I, am, I can tell you on the authority of the Bible, on the authority of God's Word, on the authority of Scripture, you die without Jesus Christ, you are going to hell. Plain and simple. There is no intermediate, intermediate place. There is no purgatory. There's no chance of, you know, the scales, you know, weighing good, bad, none of that. None of it. If you die without Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. And you don't have to. And I think one of the greatest torments of anyone who wakes up in hell is when they realized that it was so simple that all you needed to do was put your faith, your trust, and your confidence in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really do believe that, that one of the greatest torments are going to be when they realize just how simple it was. It wasn't church membership. It wasn't your baptism. It wasn't um, sitting in a booth telling some guy the things that you did wrong. It's none of that. It's putting your full faith, trust, and confidence in the finished work, in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that so important? Why is the blood so important? Because Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 tells us that it wasn't just ordinary blood that was spilled on that cross. It was God's blood. Because Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And the blood that he spilled was God's pure, precious blood. And only sinless, pure, precious blood can pay your sin debt. So why don't you put your faith and trust in the shed blood of Christ today, right now, right where you're sitting? It's very simple. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am on my way to hell. I'm asking you, God, to please save me. Wash me clean with the shed blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sin, and I will thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you pray to prayer as simple as that, and you were sincere from your heart, that you put your trust in the shed blood, God saved you. It's all it is. 
And I just want to say, just for clarification, it's not the prayer that saves you. The prayer just acknowledges that you put your trust in the blood. So why don't you do that today? And if you've done that, let me know. Email me at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Let me rejoice with you. Let me announce it to everybody that's listening. Let us rejoice with you. The angels of heaven will rejoice with you. And I would love the privilege of sending you a Bible. So let us know. All right. Now, tonight, we're praying for my mom, Diane. Uh, my mom is, uh, and we're going we're gonna to pray for her when we get down to our sick list as well. But my mom is in the hospital right now. And uh, she, she is uh, dealing with complications. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, from what I understand, that it has to do with her uh, COPD. And um, also that um, uh, we, we've, they've determined that uh, she is uh, AFib now, uh, possibly a blood clot uh, in, our, in her lung. And uh, so we, we need to pray for my mom. Because as far as I know, and she's never clarified it with me, as far as I know, my mom isn't saved. And she needs to be. So we're going to pray for my mom, Diane, and I'm pretty sure she's listening tonight. So, Mom, you need to get saved. We're going to pray for my mom. We're going to pray for my sister, Laura. My sister needs to get saved. My sister's a good woman. She takes care of our mom. She took care of our dad up until the day he went home to be with the Lord. And, uh, you know, she, she's a good heart. I love my sister very much, but my sister's not saved, and my sister's on her way to hell if she doesn't get saved. And we don't want that to happen. So I'm going to pray for my sister, Laura. So my mom, Diane, my sister, Laura. We're praying for a friend of mine named David in New York City. David, I've been witnessing to you. I've been saved for 23 years. I've been witnessing to David for at least at least 15 of those 20, 23 years. It should have been all 23 years, but at least 15 years I've witnessed to David, and he's rejected the gospel every time. But that doesn't mean we stop. That doesn't mean we give up. We continue to pray for him. We're also praying for all of the unsaved members of the Baldino family. Now, I know that they've heard the gospel because I know who their family members are, and I know that um, I know their burden for souls, and I know their burden for their families. So uh, we know the Baldino family has heard the gospel many, many, many times, and so we are praying for the unsaved members of the Baldino family. We're also praying for Jackie. Uh, who was in the hospital uh, with some health concerns that we'll talk about when we get to the sick list as well. And uh, a young man in our church named Manuel asked us to pray for his mom for her salvation. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you gave us that precious gift in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the opportunity to be saved by grace through faith and nothing else. Father God, we lift up my mother, Diane. Lord, we pray that you would just work in her, that you would draw her to yourself, Lord, and that she would be saved. Father, we pray for my sister, Laura. We lift her up to you today. Lord, we pray that you would just touch her as well and that she would be saved. We're praying for David in New York City, God. We're asking you just to reach down from heaven and just grab his, his hard heart. And just soften that heart, Lord. Just draw him in, Lord. He's heard the gospel. He knows the truth, but he needs to believe. 
So, Father, we pray that you would just work in him. We're also praying for the Baldino family, the unsaved members of the Baldino family as well. Lord, they have heard the gospel, and, Lord, uh, the seed is planted, and we pray that you would reap the harvest. We're praying for Jackie, Lord, who needs to get saved as well. And we're also praying for Manuel's mom. Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask you, Lord, to do that wonderful work in them and save them tonight, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said, uh, my mom is currently in the hospital. She's in the uh, critical care unit right now. Uh, We had thought that it may have been a stroke, um, but uh, it turns out it might not have been the stroke, but there are other health concerns there that are very serious, and so we're praying for my mom. Uh, We're praying for uh, uh, Doug Turner, who's uh, in the hospital as well. I believe he's still in ICU. We're praying for Pastor Martin. Uh, for his uh, heart condition, his vision, his poor vision, and uh, for uh, his blood pressure issues. We're lifting up uh, Hezekiah, who had a biopsy uh, recently. Uh, we're waiting for those results. We're praying for Robert, who has a pinched nerve in his, I think it's his shoulder. Uh, Mary Perez, who has cancer. Uh, we're praying for my sister Laura with a slip disc. Uh, praying for uh, Bernice, as a member of our church. Uh, Bernice has cancer and for the new treatment that she's started going for. We're praying for Janae, who has a heart condition. We're praying for uh, Furman, who has, uh, who has cancer and uh, has advanced cancer, th- advanced cancer throughout his whole body. And uh, uh, we're praying for him and for his, uh, his time in the hospital. We're praying for Sharon Baldino, who has cancer. Martin Mata, who has lymphoma. Uh, Caitlin has asked for prayers for her grandmother who's in the ICU. And again, we're praying for Jackie who uh, is doing better uh, since her diagnosis of congestive heart failure and should be released from the hospital soon. So we're going to lift them up and we're going to ask the Lord to bless them. Father, we ask you to bless all of those on our sick list today. Father God, just please provide grace where grace is needed, mercy where mercy is needed. Lord, we pray that you would just touch each individual one on our prayer list tonight, and that you would give them comfort and peace and grace, and we'll ask you for this in Jesus' name, amen. We're also going to pray for uh, for Jude, my brother-in-law up in New York, for his contracting business. We're praying for uh, Federico Salinas in the, this, in the next stage of his life and career. Uh, Angel, we're praying for her pregnancy. Alex, for uh, his job. Uh, Isabella for her walk with the Lord, Jessica for her walk with the Lord, Alex Herrera for uh, his, uh, he's restarting his job, and uh, his uh, current financial situation is going to be greatly improved, and we're thankful for that. So there's a blessing and a praise right there. Uh, We're praying for his walk with the Lord. We're praying for his safety and for his protection. We're praying that he'll be able to get his car back, and and we're also praying for his health and uh, his ability to care for his dad, uh, Furman, who is in the hospital and we prayed for on our sick list. We're also praying for Furman as well. Uh, we're asking for the, for the Lord's favor to get him into a, into a good nursing home. We're asking for the Lord not to let him suffer and that he'll be able to regain his ability to walk and that he makes it to the rapture. And that's a great prayer. Heavenly Father, for all those on our general prayer list, Father, we just ask you to bless each one. Lord, please meet each need according to your will, your perfect will for their, for their lives, and we will thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And then for the unspoken prayers of our hearts, those prayers that would just, uh, whether we can't find the right words to speak or if it's something that's too personal to uh, make public, but we trust and we're confident that the Lord knows uh, what those needs are. So we uh, have them listed as unspoken prayer requests for Eduardo Rodriguez, Mike Elizalde, Manuel, Larissa, and myself. All right, folks. Uh, now, if you have any prayer requests whatsoever, oh, we didn't pray. I'm sorry. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for those on our unspoken prayer list. Father God, we know that you know exactly what those needs are, what those concerns are. And Father, we just ask you to just to uh, bring comfort, bring grace, bring healing. And Father, we just lift up each one for that special blessing, and we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, folks, if you have any prayer requests whatsoever, you can always email them to us at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Or you can go onto our website, look for that web form, send it to us through there. Or if you're in the chat group, you could let us know in the chat group. And let's see if there's anything in the chat group. Nope. Okay. Great. All right, folks. So we don't have any missionaries that we're going to talk about this week. Uh, that comes on the second Sunday of every month. So that'll be two weeks from, tomorrow, from this coming Sunday. Uh, we don't have any listener questions that we're going to address tonight. Although I did get kind of a snarky email the other day, but I'm not going to get into that now. Um, we don't have any uh, listener birthdays to celebrate today, so we're going to pass over that. And with all of that out of the way, that means that we're going to take our second break, and that'll give you a chance to go get your King James Bible, grab yourself a cup of coffee, maybe get yourself a refill like I'm going to do, or get yourself a nice bottle of water. And when we come back, we're going to get into today's Bible study in Revelation chapters 2 and chapter 3. And also, don't forget to grab yourself your notebook. You're going to be taking some notes today. All right? And we'll be back right after this. I could tell of a story Where thousands were fed When he lifted the sick when he raised up the dead, I could sing of the others, like the blind made to see. Oh, but I'd rather tell you what's happened to me. I'm saved to the uttermost, I know that I am washed in the blood of the precious Lamb. Amen. Through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Ghost, I'm saved to the uttermost. You must be forgiven to make heaven your home. The good life you're living won't do it alone so trust in the savior he'll save you today and with blessed assurance you too can say i'm saved to the uttermost i know that i am washed in the blood of the precious lamb through the father through the son 
through the Holy Ghost I'm saved to the uttermost. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete for I'm saved. I'm saved to the uttermost. I know that I am washed in the blood of the precious Lamb. Through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Ghost, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved to the uttermost. Amen. Amen. Folks, are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Why don't you do so right now? Why don't you just get on your face and just confess to the Lord Jesus Christ that you're a sinner, that you're on your way to hell, and that you want to be saved? And if you do that with a sincere heart, folks, he'll save you. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. Amen, amen, and amen. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Ruciello, and when you hear that, you know it's time to get into our study. So grab your King James Bible, open it up to the book of Revelation, chapter number two. Now, one thing I am going to say is I am extremely happy, and I am pleased that we finally resolved the audio problem that we've been having for the last couple of weeks uh, I don't know if you remember, but um, there were a few times where in the middle of the show, um, we would just get completely cut off and uh, could not figure out what the problem was. Well, after going through some tech support with our studio folks and uh, doing some research on my own, I found the problem. I think we corrected it, and uh, hopefully it sounds good. And if you're in the chat group, let me know how we're doing. And uh, let's, uh, let's see, episode 73 of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Let's get into it. 
All right. Uh, grab your Bible, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, um, and we're going to get into this. Now, uh, it's real easy. It's real easy to get bogged down in the book of Revelation, and you honestly don't have to go very far to do it. So what we've got to do is utilize what God does and clarify some things in chapter 2 and 3 in this, in this particular message that uh, he gave to the seven churches uh, to help us understand where we are in this whole thing dispensationally. Now, Revelation 2 and 3 uh, is a great place if you want to commit theological suicide. I mean, it really is. It's a wonderful place to go if you want to get all fouled up. So what we've got to do is we've got to get this whole thing straightened out so that we have a platform on which to build as we approach the rest of the book. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we want to thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, good audio. Thank you, Lord, for all those that are listening today. And Father, we ask you just to uh, bless this time in the reading, the preaching, the teaching, and the study of your holy book, and we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now Revelation chapter 2 and 3 deal with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to seven churches. Now, it's really not a coincidence that it's seven churches. Because everything God does, he seems to do in sevens and in multiples of sevens. You know, God counts by seven. We Gentiles, we count by ten. So if you were to pick up a Hebrew Bible, the first verse, Genesis 1-1, has seven words in it. But your Gentile King James Bible has ten words in it. So it's not really a surprise, right? Now, uh, just a couple things we're going to have to understand. Uh, now, in any verse of Scripture, it doesn't matter which verse of Scripture you look, you're going to look at, any verse of Scripture has three applications. Now, this is critical. Okay, this is important. You need to understand this. There are three applications to any verse of Scripture. There's the historical application. There's the inspirational application. And then there's a doctrinal application. To get the correct interpretation of the thing, you have to sort it out. You have to differentiate. And you have to ask yourself the question, who does this apply to historically? Who does this apply to inspirationally? Who does this apply to doctrinally? Now, the fact of the matter is this. Most anyone in any age can derive inspirational application from any passage of Scripture. Amen? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God as profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Isn't that right? So every verse in your Bible is profitable for you for something. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it applies to you. It all applies to you, doctrinally. So what you have to do is you have to kind of sort the thing out. And nowhere, nowhere is this more evident than in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Because if we don't go through and draw those lines of demarcation in Revelation 2 and 3, the whole thing is going to become a doctrinal and theological mess. It'll be such mass confusion that nobody can make any sense out of it. Absolutely no one. To doctrinally apply the passages uh, to uh, church-age saints is a theological disaster. Every one of the seven churches are reminded of the, necess of the necessity of overcoming. Now, God writes a message to seven churches, which we briefly saw last week. 
there are seven there are seven times God says you have to be an overcomer. So someone you know reading down through there says, "All right, well, seven times I have to be an over I have to be an overcomer, right? I have to be an overcomer to get and to get what? Well, according to the text, overcoming is necessary if someone will have the right to number one to eat of the tree of life, to number two, to not be hurt in this of the second death, third, have the opportunity to eat the hidden manna, four, have power over the nations, number five, not be blotted out of the book of life, number six, be made a pillar in the temple of God, and number seven, to sit with Christ in his throne. Now look over that list. How much of that list matches up with church age theology? Do you see what I'm saying? How many of you have ever heard a sermon on that you have to overcome so that you'll have the right to eat of the hidden manna? How many of you know what the hidden manna is? How many of you have eaten of it? Are you saved? Maybe you're not. If you haven't been partaking of the hidden manna. So do you see what I'm saying? This is all revelation doctrine. And that should that sure could throw you for a loop, couldn't it? Especially if you don't even know what the hidden manna is. You say, oh, hold on a second. I might be in trouble here. You might be in serious jeopardy. How about being made in the how about being made a pillar in the temple of God? Now, if someone gets on you about that, you can throw them a curveball. And by showing them that that in Christ you're already an overcomer. First John chapter four and first John chapter five and verse four. You're already an overcomer in Christ. So that kind of solves the problem, but it doesn't solve the problem to this extent. Then who does need to be an overcomer so that they may partake and or participate in those things that we just listed? Obviously, someone does. So now you see how you can get all balled up in this? Now you can say, I'm an overcomer in Christ, and that's true. Now it talks about being an overcomer to the extent that you may sit with Christ in his throne, chapter 3 and verse 21. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. In Ephesians... As a New Testament church-age saint, I'm already seated together with him in heavenly places. Isn't that true? So it's a, it's a present tense fact. I'm already there. You say, well, how can you be there when you're here? That's because of the trichotomy of man. I am body, soul, and spirit, am I not? So there's part of me that's in Christ, and he's in me, and I'm bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And I'm part of him. And because he's there, I'm there. Isn't that a great concept? So you see, what we're talking about when we say uh, you, know, you can sure get into a mess. I mean, you can see that. But it doesn't have to be. It's not that complicated. It's, it's really relatively simple if we just take the time and sort it out. So now, let's first of all, let's look at the, hist- the, the historical application. The historical application. So not only does Revelation 2 and 3 present the necessity of differentiating between the historical, the inspirational, and the doctrinal, but it also provides one of the greatest opportunities in all of the Bible to show exactly how that principle works. 
And this is just a tremendous, tremendous opportunity to illustrate that. Now, we've quite, we have quite conclusively a letter written to seven actual historical churches that existed in Asia Minor. The, these were real churches, real people, real places, real time. There's no figment of anyone's imagination about any of this. This is part of the historical application. But you dive into it a little deeper. And of course, we have the glorious luxury of hindsight, don't we? That a lot of our spiritual predecessors didn't have. And as we look backwards, we can see that every one of those seven churches represent a different time frame within the scope and the parameters of church history. Now, like I said, if you were sitting in John's place looking forward, you couldn't have seen that as clearly as we see it because we have the luxury of history so that we can go back and see how those seven churches match up with different time frames in church history. And we already gave you the meaning last week of these seven churches, right? And uh, we saw how some of those churches were representative of great persecu- persecution, and they also represented time frames of great persecution. For example, Smyrna, or Myrrh, it was a great suffering church. Sardis, Sardis means red ones. It was a church that, was, that tremendously suffered phenomenal persecution. Now we go down through Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Now the church of Laodicea, which we undoubtedly live in that age today, is a church age that began more or less around 1900. Now don't get conf- folks, these aren't concrete dates, okay? These are just approximate dates. You know, these are the best that we can come up with. Now, and as you know, when we go through a lot of things in history, it's not just, you know, stop and start. You know, it doesn't just start specifically on one day. It, it, it's a transition, you know? Um, we've seen... In most of our lifetimes in America, we've seen a phenomenal transition, haven't we? You can't say that it, you know, it started exactly here. You know, it ended here and, and, and started something else over here. You know, we're moving through a phase. We're moving through a transition, just like a human body does, just like life does. But more or less, the Laodicean age started around 1900, around the turn of the century. And of course, it was initiated with all of these new translations that started to uh, proliferate the market. In 1881, the first revised version came out. In 1901, the second revised version came out, and they called it the American Standard Version. And then it's just been a continuing thing since then. The uh, The more men attempted to mess with the Word of God, change the Word of God, and of course, the more lukewarm the churches became. And if you trace this thing historically, God has never, ever used one of these modern translations to instigate or keep a revival going. I mean a real revival. I mean, I'm talking about a real Holy Spirit-filled revival. It just hasn't happened. So we see that one of the great things that initiated that business We see that it was money. (laughs) That's really all it was. It was money. All right, so there's the historical application. All right, but that's not all. Do you know what one of the great problems we have in America today is? 
we've allowed the history revisers to kind of eradicate our history. And consequently, we have a lot of young people in America today that don't even know what our history really is. And because they don't, they don't have a starting point. They don't have a base. They don't have a heritage. They don't have anything they can fall back on. You know, they don't have a cornerstone. And do you know what that does? That wipes out a culture. And you know, the same thing happens in the religious world. It is really critical to know our history. The more you know about our history, our spiritual predecessors, and where we came from, the better equipped you are to deal with the present and the future, if you know something about the past. As one man pointed out, alas, the only thing that men learn from history is that men don't learn from history. And that's a really good observation. All right? Now, the second application of Scripture, after the historical, is the inspirational. The inspirational. Now, every passage of Scripture has an inspirational element. And many times in our preaching, you know, given any subject, we preach a passage inspirationally. A lot of preaching is inspirational preaching, and it's as it should be. God gives us the liberty to inspirationally apply things to a passage and go with it. Now, I try to be careful in my preaching. If I'm dealing with a doctrinally sensitive text, I try to point out the doctrine of the text, even though I may not be preaching the thing doctrinally. For example, I may preach out of the Sermon on the Mount, and I may preach uh, an inspirational sermon, but I try to show you what the doctrinal truth of it is, even though we may not be going for the doctrine. Now, there is an inspirational application to these seven churches. God has some really good things to say about these churches, and he has some bad things to say about these churches. Well, I I should say, he has some bad things to say and some good things to say. The way I said it the first time was the more politically correct way for today, right? You know, you always have to say good stuff first, bad stuff second. You know, in in other words, you know, you maximize the good or the positive and you minimize the bad or the negative. But you see, God does it just the opposite. God mentions the negative first, the positive second. Did you ever notice that? God usually does things in reverse from the way we do it. If you mention the negative today, oof, forget it. And, and, and here's the political phrase that you're going to hear, which I love. You're just mean-spirited. Or like I was called earlier this week, Mr. Negative. Man, I've heard that phrase so much, I've just about had a gut full of it, to be honest with you. You know, we live in an age of, of super thin-skinned, sensitive folks, don't we? That guy is mean-spirited. You're so negative. I'll tell you what. You should listen to or read some of the sermons of our spiritual predecessors. You want to talk about mean-spirited? Try Billy Sunday. You, you, you want to talk about negative? Try Sam Jones, the old Methodist evangelist. Man, he called folks bad names. He did all kinds of stuff. You know, you really want you really want negative or mean spirited? Try J. Frank Norris. You want to talk about mean spirit and negative? Oof. Today's generation couldn't handle the preaching of those men. Anyway, off my soapbox. So, God mentions the negatives first and the positive second. All right, let's look over in Revelation chapter two and verse two. Revelation chapter two and verse two, and he's addressing the church at Ephesus. The Bible says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience 
and how thou, thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. All right, here's their commendation. They're an intolerant crowd. They're an intolerant crowd, all right? Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So the con- the, their commendation was, you're intolerant. Their condemnation was, you've left your first love. You know what? God is a lot more... You know, you know what? God is a lot more toler- intolerant than we are. And we need to understand that. We need to know that. God is a lot more intolerant than we are. Verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So this is a church that's discriminating. Excuse me? This is a church that's discriminating. Now, if you are discriminating in any way, shape, or form today, you're condemned. But God says that's a good thing, to be discriminating. He says... You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, in this thin-skinned, soft-shelled, 21st century mentality that we live in, hate is an evil word. God says, hey, good for you. You hate something. Now, what is it that they actually hate? Well, the Bible says they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So Nicolaitans... That's a compound Greek word that's just been transliterated into the English language. So you break it down. Nikaio means laity. Nikaio refers refers to a priest class of people that kind of set themselves up to usurp authority over God's people. And then you have laity, and that's where we get our word layman from. So the Nicolaitans, they were a priest class of people that ruled over the laity. You know what? The same thing is going on in 2023. And God says, I hate their deeds. Do you know how they did it? Well, here's how. The same way they do it today. They say things like, in the originals, what it really says is this. And then you, the layman, sit out there and say, well, I don't know Greek, and I, don't, I can't read Latin, and I, I can't read Hebrew, and I guess I'll just have to listen to Dr. Slipjaw over here and take his word for it. And God says he hates it. He hates it. Now, around here, we give you the opposite approach. So if you've been listening to me for a while, you've heard me say it several times. You've got the same Bible I have. You've got the same Holy Spirit I got. You got the same avenue of prayer that I've got. Amen? You get on your face before God and you say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Would you reveal it to me? And you ask him to show it to you. And he can show you anything that he can show me. Anything. And yes, I've studied some Hebrew. I've studied some Greek. I've even studied some Latin. And he can still show you anything he can show me. Isn't that a blessing? You know, nobody is beating you over the head with so-called superior knowledge or superior revelation or superior information. That's the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and God hates it. He hates it. All right, let's look at some other condemnations. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. I know thy works 
and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them, which they say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. All right, there's a condemnation. I know you suffered. I know your poverty. I know your tribulation. And good for you. You suffered and hung in there. Good for you. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Second Timothy says. That's what the book says. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But that's not all. Look at verse 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. All right, now here's a courageous crowd. All right, that's a courageous crowd right there. Now, we do need to add a little addendum here, so look back up in verse 12. Now, we notice that this letter to the... This was a letter to the church at Pergamos. And it's particularly significant because the Lord Jesus to this church at Pergamos says, I know thou dwellest even where Satan's seed is. What a strange thing to say. Satan has a seat? Well, a seat is a de- designation of authority, isn't it? It's like we say, to, we say that someone is the chair of a department or uh, on, a, on a committee. You see what I'm saying? It's a seat. I know thou dwellest even where Satan's seat is. Where? Pergamos. This place in Asia Minor called Pergamos. Now, if we go way back in history, and I don't have enough time to, to give, you the whole, give you a whole lot of it, but I'm going to give you a few minutes of it at least. Uh, if you go way back in history, all the way back to the book of Genesis, you're going to find a guy by the name of Nimrod. And you start working forward from that point, and you find out that Nimrod married a woman by the name of Samarimus. And she allegedly had a miraculously conceived child that she named Tammuz. And they built a whole religion around this scam. And Nimrod, of course, was the founder of Babylon. And this religion came to be known as the Babylonian Etruscan Mystery Religion. And so all through history, as, as you're moving ahead, you see this Babylonian religion gathering steam as you go through the Old Testament. Now, this religion is characterized by the doctrine of Jezebel. The doctrine of Jezebel embraces a variety of things. I'm not going to go through it all, but we'll just touch on a couple of things here. All right. It starts with the tribe of Dan, who's called a serpent. Dan is like a lion's whelp and so on. He's, called a, a, he's, he's compared to a lion and he's compared to a serpent. Do you know who else is compared to a lion and a serpent? The devil is. Amen? The devil. Now in Judges chapter 18, the tribe of Dan gets a young man to be a priest for its tribe. In Judges 18, this priest calls, calls this. Now, I'm not interpreting anything. Okay, I want you to understand that. I am not interpreting anything. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You can look up all the passages and read them. Enjoy them. Savor the Word of God. You'll find out why things happen the way they do. So this tribe gets a priest, and they call this priest Father. It becomes the responsibility of the Father to take care of idols and use them as aids to worship. Folks, this is all in your Bible. 
In Judges chapter 18, the tribe of Dan settles up in Tyre and Sidon, up along the Phoenician coast. Now, this Babylonian mystery religion is flourishing and going wild up in that part of the world at that time. Now, in Judges 18, they go into total apostasy for nearly a thousand years. Then in 1 Kings chapter 16, Ahab takes over. Now, you've heard of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab takes over, marries a daughter of the king of the Sidonians, and serves Baal, the Phoenician god, and, and her name is Jezebel. And things develop, and things kind of move on. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, they worship the fire of the sun. They worship the sun god on Sunday. So this crowd here worship on Sunday. Now, in the Old Testament, the day of worship is Saturday. It's the Sabbath day. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. Just stop and think about it for a second. In the Bible... Sunday isn't called Sunday. Do you realize that? Sunday in the Bible is called the Lord's Day. Amen? The first day of the week in the Bible is called the Lord's Day. But in pagan elements, it's called Sunday. Why? Because they worshiped the sun. And their day of worship was Sunday way back before Christ ever came to earth the first time, way back in the Old Testament, they were worshiping the sun god on Sunday. We worship on what we in the vernacular refer to as Sunday, but in real Bible language, it's not Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. You think about it, we use a lot of pagan terminology, don't we? And we don't even know it. So they got him a priest that they called Father. And you compare that with some stuff over in Jeremiah chapter 10 and 2 Kings chapter 10, etc. And these priests turn out to be black-robed priests, calling themselves Father, mutilating their bodies, trying to get what they want from God. As in the days of Elijah, taunting them on, on Mount Carmel. And these Baalite priests are running around doing their thing. Well, by the time you get to Jeremiah chapter 10, these people that worship Baal, the sun god, Worship him at a certain time of the year to celebrate Tammuz's birthday. All right, now let's go. Let's just go back for a second. All right, let's go back. Now I said this whole thing was originated by a man named Nimrod, right? His wife Semiramis and this allegedly immaculately conceived Tammuz, who was allegedly slain by a wild boar when he was thirty-three years old, and was allegedly rescued, re, um, resurrected three days later. And so one of the pivotal points of this religion became a celebration of his birthday. And that was celebrated around the time of the winter solstice. And so they began to celebrate it on December the 25th. And one of the marks of the celebration in Jeremiah chapter 10, folks, this is in your Bible, okay? This is in your Bible. I know someone out there is looking at their, at their phone or their headphones, whatever, like I'm crazy. It's in your Bible. All right? In Jeremiah chapter 10, they go out into the forest, and they cut down a tree, and they decorate it with silver and gold. And that was the celebration. So Christmas, as we... Now, 
let me stop. I'm going to put some qualifiers in here, all right? So don't, don't get nervous. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? I'm going to help you in a minute. But Christmas, as we know it today, is more pagan than it is Christian. And its roots of paganism predate Jesus Christ by a couple of thousand years. Now, isn't that a blessing? Now, let's put, let's put it all in its proper perspective and balance. Now, you say, preacher, you have a Christmas tree at your house? Yeah, I have one. Every year, whether I want it or not. And somewhere around the beginning of December, you know, we, we start putting it all up. And honestly, I hate the whole process. I, really, I despise the whole thing. <laughs> I really do. But yeah, we celebrate Christmas on the 25th. Yes, we give gifts. Yes, we receive gifts. And yes, we cook with the family. All that stuff. Absolutely. Now, I know there are a lot of Bible-believing Christians that break their neck to go overboard in the other direction. You know, they don't celebrate it. Christmas is just like any other old day to them. And that's okay. That's fine. I'm not going to fight with somebody over their convictions any more than I think they ought to fight with me over mine. So, you know, go ahead and do it. But do you see what I'm saying? You say, well, why do you celebrate Christmas? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I found over the 23 years that I've been a Christian, I have found that, number one, in that New Testament, thank God, folks, we have liberty in Christ. If we didn't have liberty we'd be shot to pieces. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When I approach Christmas, I don't approach it as a pagan, and I don't look at it as a pagan holiday. Although I do know that Jesus Christ wasn't born on December 25th. In all likelihood, he was born in September. But that's another message, and I don't have time to give it to you tonight. And there's lots of Bible reasons for that. September, maybe early October. And I found that if, that if you utilize it to your advantage, and, and you know, Paul consistently did that, by the way. He would take pagan things, he'd twist them around to his advantage to preach Christ to people. He would do that. For example, the men on Mars Hill in the book of Acts. You know, they were there worshiping this unknown God, and, and Paul went and he talked to them about their superstition. And he didn't spend a great deal of time condemning their paganism. He simply used it as a springboard to launch into the gospel. Amen? You've got to walk a balanced line. You know, there are some things in the world that you need to stay away from. There are some things in the world that you have to be very careful about. But if you start looking too fringy, you know, too far out, you know, it really narrows down your opportunities to visit and talk with folks about the Lord. Because then they just think you're like a, cult, a cultist fruitcake or something, you know? So you have to be careful. You have to be careful, and I think it's crucial for Christian people to know this stuff. It's important to know your history. You need to know something about your heritage versus theirs. You need to understand some things about all of this. All right? Uh, Jeremiah 44, they baked cakes to a female deity they call, quaintly, exactly what Paul calls her, and not in a positive sense, the Queen of Heaven clearly identifying the Phoenician Baal worship for what it is. Folks, do you know that to, to this day, the Roman Catholic Church refers to Mary as the Queen of Heaven? Now you can find where that came from. Right here in your Bible in Jeremiah chapter 44. All right? So that is the doctrine of Jezebel. 
Folks, this is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. We're going to take our last break for the night and come back and get further into our study of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away.
is not fame that I desire, nor stature in my brother's eyes. I pray it's said about my life that I live more to build your name than mine. For the From Emmanuel's veins, the sinner was plunged beneath the flood, and God said, "Since then I walk in forgiveness, and all of my guilt was erased. The chains of the past." Are broken at last. I got saved. Oh, I got saved. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? There is nothing more that you'd want. I receive nothing but goodness. I've tested and tasted your grace. Amen, Lord. I was so lost till I fell at the cross and got saved. Oh, I got saved. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? The love of God gave me his pardon. The love of God won't let me stay the same. The love of God pulls me up higher. His will is stronger. That's why I got saved. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? I got Jesus, how could I want more? There is absolutely nothing more that you could want than Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello. We are studying Revelation chapters 2 and 3 tonight. Uh, we just finished talking about the doctrine of Jezebel. And I'm sure, I am sure, that many of you listening tonight have never even heard of that or the information that I gave you. But, again, it's all in your Bible, folks. It's all in your Bible. Uh, and, you know, looking back, I've tried to bring you up to speed. You know, this Babylonian religion flourished through 
all of the Old Testament days. But as, as Babylon itself, the city, was on the verge of crumbling under the onslaught of other pagan people moving into that area and waging war on those people, and then their culture was in demise, the religious element, all they did is just they just packed up their bags and they moved. They saw the handwriting on the wall. And so, you know, the, the priests, the popes, and all the rest of them just packed up their baggage and they moved. The move was officially made in 133 B.C., interestingly, to Pergamos. And so in about 95 or 96 A.D., the Lord Jesus Christ says to John and, and this church, I know thou dwellest where Satan's seat is. So they'd been there over 170 years, more or less, at that time. And that was the headquarters for that Babylonian mystery religion. Now, by the time you get to that, a lot of stuff had evolved into this religion. Now, if you want a detailed account of it, the most documented detailed account you'll ever lay eyes on, you need to get a hold of a book that was written back in the 19th century by a man named Alexander Hislop. The book is called The Two Babylons. It's the best piece of documentation on this material you'll ever come across. If you think what I gave you, that little snippet was interesting, you should definitely read The Two Babylons. Um, and then other people have written books about it, but honestly, my opinion, Hislop's book is the best on it. It's the most definitive and the most complete book on it. And uh, I think you can get it on Chick right now. It was out of print for a little while, but I got a copy recently from Chick.com. Uh, not a paid endorsement at all, but uh, good website, good King James-only website. Um, so uh, that church and their headquarters made one more move after that. They moved from Pergamos to another place in 313 A.D. But I bet you can't guess the city that they moved to. They moved to Rome, the city of Seven Hills, and they've been quartered there ever since. All right, and the Lord said, I know thou dwellest even where Satan's seat is. All right, there are some things that you need to know about this business right here. Why did God say that? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 19, another, condemnation, another commendation. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. So this was a church of good works. Now, good works are good. Intolerance is good. Discrimination is good. Suffering is good. Courageousness is good. Good, good works is good. Chapter 3, verse 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So this is a separated church a separated church, and good for them. They kept the word, this church in Philadelphia. Verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So these are the commendations. Now, let's briefly look at the condemnations. Some we've already talked about. Uh, you know, left the first love in chapter 2, verse 14, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. 
so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So once again, the Nicolaitans are mentioned. False doctrine, false doctrine is the gist of all of this. God says, here's a condemnation. You've left your first love to one church. To this church, he says, you've embraced too much false doctrine. Now let me ask you a question. Do you know what the emphasis is in the ecumenical movement? Doctrine's not important. Let's all just get together, you know, unification, you know. Well, that's not what God says. God says you better strive to keep your doctrine right and straight. Doctrine does matter. Without doctrine, you don't have anything. You've got nothing to hang your hat on. All right? Doctrine of Jezebel, chapter, 20 and ver- chapter 2, verse 20. And we've already explained that, but we didn't read the verse. So let's read the verse. Ch- uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce, and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Isn't that a strange thing? considering the fact that Jezebel had been dead for several hundred years. Jezebel had been dead for several hundred years, and God comes along and says, Thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel. You see? Jezebel had a long-reaching influence. And what was the influence? It was her religious seductions. That's what it was. All right, chapter 3, verse 2. Be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. All right, so failure to watch is mentioned as a great condemnation. All right, chapter 3 and verse 16 the Laodicean church. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I will spew thee out of my mouth. It's a lukewarm church. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. All right. These are the condemnations along with the commendations. So you know what that is? That's inspirational stuff. It's critical. It's important, but it's inspirational. Well, you say, what do you mean it's inspirational? It's important for us as a church people, as a church family, as a church people, as Christians, as Bible believers, to go through the Word of God and see what God commends and what God condemns. Wouldn't you say? It's important for us to know that. What does God support? What does God denounce? All right, now, the doctrinal application. Now, we've alluded to this a little bit already in some of our opening remarks. Now, the emphasis in every one of these churches is overcoming. You must be an overcomer. You must overcome. You must be an overcomer. All right, if you're not an overcomer, what's the first ramification of that? Well, chapter 2 and verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. 
So if you're not constantly in the mode of overcoming, you may not have the right to the tree of life. Folks, what's the tree of life? The tree of life was way back in the garden, in Eden, wasn't it? Do you see what the Bible does? It starts with a tree, and it ends with a tree. In eternity past, there's a tree. In eternity future, there's a tree. Well, how in the world does that apply to you and me? According to John chapter 15, I am part of the tree. Didn't Jesus say, I am the vine, you are the branches? Isn't a branch a part of the tree? I'm a part of the tree. So then why am I worried about partaking of the tree of life? I'm not. But somebody needs to be. All right, how about the second death? Chapter 2, verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. All right, now the second death. Now, if you'll run that out to chapter 20 and verse 14, it's talking about the great white throne judgment. That's the second death. And aren't death and hell delivered up to be judged at the great white throne judgment? And then the condemnation that comes at the great white throne judgment is the second death. So those folks had died once. They're delivered up, resurrected, as it were, to stand before God Almighty at the great white throne judgment to die again. Folks, no Christian will appear at the great white throne judgment. If you're saved tonight, there is not a chance in the world that you'll go to the great white throne judgment. Now, you'll appear at the judgment seat of Christ. It's a big difference. It's a different basis. It's a different everything. Amen? But you see, someone is facing great jeopardy at the second death if he's not an overcomer. And down through the list it goes. You know, hidden manna, power over nations, book of life, pillar in the temple, sit with Christ in his throne. Do you see how confusing all that can get? Now you could read down through Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and, and if you tried to doctrinally apply all that to you, you sure would be in a fix, wouldn't you? You wouldn't know if you were coming or going. I mean, what a mess that would be. Well then... If they don't apply to the believer, then who do they doctrinally apply to? Well, historically, there are seven churches scattered across Asia Minor. Inspirationally, the churches leave a message for you and I about condemnation and commendation that we need to observe. Doctrinally, they don't apply to anyone in the church age. They apply as the entire book of Revelation applies to the tribulation and beyond. Tribulation, millennium, eternity are the three dispensations discussed in the book of Revelation. Now, from time to time, I find it necessary to kind of rehearse a little bit about dispensational truth, and I'm sure everyone will benefit from it. Now, back in Abraham's time, there were more dispensations before Abraham, but they're not relevant to our discussion for tonight, so I'm not going to include them. Um, Abraham was operating in a dispensation of conscience. You see, Abraham didn't have the law. The Ten Commandments came after Abraham. He had no Levitical law. He had no law of Exodus chapter 20. So what's he got? Well, he's got a conscience. 
that conscience is well explained to you in Romans chapter 2. You know, God puts a conscience in every man, woman, and child. Every child that's, that is born is born with an innate conscience. And as you grow, that thing grows and it develops, and you either become sensitive to it and respond to it, or you allow it to become seared with a hot iron, and you go against it. Every unsaved person on the planet has got a conscience. Now, Abraham was operating in a dispensation of conscience. Now, all the, all the cults love to go over to James chapter 2 and, and show us uh, verse 21. James chapter 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Well, even if you're just a casual student of the book of Romans, how did you get your justification? Now, someone might be saying, well, salvation. And if you said salvation, yeah, that's true. But what initiated your justification? What initiated your justification? Faith. A man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Isn't that what Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says? Wasn't that what did it for Martin Luther? Isn't that why Martin Luther finally beat his head against the stone wall in that Roman Catholic monastery and he said, they're not right, they're not right, they're not right. The book says you're justified by faith. Now, to make a long story short, Abraham got his imputed righteousness in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. For what? For believing God. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He got his justification according to James 2.21 in Genesis 22 when he offered Isaac upon the altar. All right, so imputed righteousness in Genesis 15 and justification in Genesis 22. Now, interestingly, when you get over to James and Hebrews and all those Jewish books, which seem to have a tribulation twist to them, they, inf they all infer the same thing. Do you know how a tribulation saint gets saved? He gets his imputed righteousness for believing. He gets his justification for works. Hence, it makes a lot of sense out of the tribulation passages, like in Matthew 24, 13, where it says that those that endure to the end shall be saved. Amen? All right, so you have conscience and you have law. After the law is concluded... We have an apostolic transition. Now, in Matthew, you have the gospel of the kingdom. And it's well characterized in Mark chapter 16, where they're going out, they're casting out demons, raising up the dead, they're healing sick folks, they're you know, picking up poison serpents, they're drinking poisonous things. You know, there are a lot of folks today that think they're still somehow connected to that and tied to that gospel of the kingdom. You know, there are folks out there in, in Tennessee that like to handle snakes. You know, and, and several of them die from snake bites. All right, but you see, the gospel of the kingdom is being preached. In the Old Testament, a kingdom is being promised, and they're being instructed as to how to receive this kingdom and how to get in on it. And the gospel of the kingdom is being preached. And then finally, what happens is the Jewish people shut it down. They say, no, we're not going to receive the king. And because they did that, they didn't receive the kingdom. So, so the whole thing becomes null and void. And then so we move into a dispensation of grace. 
You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for a bride. He gets a Gentile bride, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 to 32. Now, the age in which you and I live is a giant parenthesis. We're living in a parenthesis. A parenthesis has something to do with the general thought that's being conveyed, but it's a separate and distinct thought enough that even though it has a relationship, it needs to be set apart. Do I need to say that again? So a parenthesis has something to do with a general thought that's being conveyed, but it's a separate and distinct enough thought that even though it has a relationship, it needs to be set apart. So one way to achieve that is to put a parenthesis around one thing. And that's the age that you and I live in, a parenthesis. Now you go over to Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. God goes into considerable detail telling you that the age which you and I currently live is a parenthesis. You know, God's going along and whoop, you and I are in a parenthesis. A parenthesis deals with the thought and the general context, but it's different enough where it needs to be set aside. But it's not so different that it needs to be a new paragraph because then it would be too separate. So God is running out its program. That's all part of the big context. But a parenthesis is introduced and grace is introduced in which you and I are the glorious recipients. Amen? Now, when the age of grace is concluded with the rapture and we're all called home, then the parenthesis is over. And you go back to the original thought. The original thought hasn't concluded. That's the need for the parentheses. There's information on both sides in this case. So the parentheses is concluded. The tribulation ensues. I'll say it again. So when the parentheses is, is concluded, the tribulation ensues. Now, there are some things from the past that need to be brought up, um, you know, or that need to be brought to a consummation that never were. For example... Abraham. Abraham got his imputed righteousness, righteousness for believing. He got his justification for works. Now, a very similar system is instituted in the tribulation. That's why we keep reading to every one of the seven churches, they have to be an overcomer. They have to be an overcomer. They have to be an overcomer. So, Do you get it? You follow me? You'll not, part, you'll not partake of the tree of life. You'll not partake of the hidden manna. You'll not be a pillar in the temple. You know, these are very strange and very foreign words in the Paul, to the Pauline epistles. You wouldn't get any of that in the Pauline epistles. So salvation is similar to an age of conscience with this, with this exception. And the book of Hebrews shows you what the exception is. Even Abraham, as dictated by his conscience, periodically offered up a blood sacrifice. He'd, he'd stop wherever he was. He'd build an altar out of stones and boom, blood sacrifice. But that won't be necessary for the tribulation folks because Hebrews tells them that the blood sacrifice has been completed in their behalf in the personage of Jesus Christ. All right, so interestingly, this apostolic transition that was the forerunner of a coming kingdom with all the little ingredients included, will also be reinitiated in the tribulation. Why? Because the kingdom is about to come. And so once again, this forerunning message, this, this prelude to the kingdom is reinstituted. Now what were some of those ingredients? Well, healings, 
Now, if you go back and chart all of the healings in the Gospels and the book of Acts, you'll find out that you know, for someone to get healed, it didn't necessarily have to do anything with his faith. You hear that a lot today. Well, the reason the guy didn't get healed was because he didn't have enough faith. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ and Peter, James, and John, the Apostle Paul, all went around healing folks, and many times their faith wasn't even a consideration. You know, there were no duds. There were no dry rounds. There were no misfires. When they said, be healed, that was the end of it. They were healed. But that's not all. They were raising folks from the dead. And that's not all. They were speaking in tongues. And that's not all. Their, their, message, their message was centered on how to get the kingdom rather than personal salvation. And what we have is this gospel of the kingdom reinstituted after the parentheses. You know what folks are trying to do today, speaking in tongues? They're just trying to get ahead of the game. They're early. Right thing, wrong time. And do you know how the devil messes folks up? I mean, he's got so many folks today convinced that they ought to be worried about healing and speaking in tongues and all, and all that stuff. You know, come the tribulation, he'll end up convincing them all that it's not even tribulation doctrine. He'll have them all convinced that, that, that that's passed on and they need to major on grace. Okay? And I guarantee you it's going to go that way. Guarantee it. Now you have a bunch of churches that are given a lot of admonitions that are incredibly impossible for us to amalgamate and synchronize with the Pauline epistles. It just won't work, folks. It just won't work. And the reason why is that they just simply don't belong together. All right, at the conclusion of the tribulation, we have the second advent, where Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. All right, folks, now I haven't gone through Revelation 2 and 3 verse by verse like I usually do. It would, it would take a lot longer to do it that way. And I, I didn't want to spend a lot, of, a lot of time on these two chapters. You know, one of my objectives is to keep you listening. And unfortunately, you know, some people get the notion that, you know, you're talking about God's letter to the seven churches, that you're not talking about prophecy. I came to get Revelation and prophecy. Now, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Chapter 4 and verse 1 is probably as far as we're going to get next week. I, I don't think we're going to get beyond verse 1. Because verse 1 is just so power-packed and so full of stuff that we have to spend some time there. We really do. But tonight, I tried to rush through these chapters about these seven churches. And it's in no way to suggest that they're not important. And it's in no way to try to, minim minim to minimize them. We don't at all. And that's not to say that they aren't critical. They absolutely are. But I tried to give you a kind of an overview of what the chapters are, what they're about, so that we can, you know, so that we can proceed ahead. And folks, that's going to bring us to the end of our study of Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. I hope you got a blessing out of this. I know I threw a lot of stuff at you, uh, probably a lot of stuff that you hadn't heard or even considered before. And uh, I hope you took some good notes on it. You can go back to you. You can look them up later on. If you have any questions whatsoever about anything we talked about tonight, please feel free to email me. 
uh, info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and I'll be happy to answer any questions I possibly can for you. Um, and again, folks, I just want to say thank you so very much for tuning in tonight. And uh, man, this was a blessing. This really was a blessing. Folks, head over to swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Send us over a message. Look for that support this podcast button. And if you can, help us out with a contribution, monthly, recurring, or a one-time. And folks, get out there into the world. Win the lost, no matter the cost. Lord willing, I'll see you Sunday. God bless you. Take care. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day.